Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, here at the first of the year, we have taken the opportunity to just piggyback on something that's kind of naturally happening in all of our lives anyways. There's this natural focus at the beginning of the year to refocus, to just kind of look at life in a fresh way, to see what maybe we need to um, to help out and to be able to grow better, maybe some stuff we need to prune and let go aside. And it's just a normal place for us to refocus our lives as the calendar turns and we step into a new year. And so for us, we want to do that from a spiritual perspective. We want to make sure um, that there's not just a refocusing, but a fresh focus. And so um, we're this week in the third part of a series that we just call Focus. And so with that, if you've got your bulletin, um, if you've got, if you're following along in your teaching notes on digitally or however that's going, we have led off with um, this idea uh, that where you stand determines what you see. Where you stand determines what you see. You can't focus on something that you can't see. Your perspective, it changes things. Me standing up here on this stage, I have a different perspective than you sitting down in the seats. I can't see things you can see. Uh, and you can't see things that I can see. If I was to get a, you know, an eight-foot stepladder and climb to the top of the stepladder on top of the stage, I would have even yet a different perspective and a different focus. And I, I could see different things. If I was to, to get down on the ground and lay down on the ground over here, I would have yet a different focus. Yet we're all in the same space. We all have the same people present. But just where we're positioned determines what our perspective is actually is, and it will change things. Uh, recently, Cutie and I were in a local restaurant, and um, we were sitting at our table, and then Cutie all of a sudden says, Brand, can you see those two men? They are super tall. And uh, I was like, um, no, no, I don't, I don't see them. Don't, Seriously, you cannot see. They're like, like a whole head taller than everybody else. And I'm like, I don't see anybody. And where she was sitting, um, she could not tell that the corner, there was a little, the, the building turned. And where I was sitting, I couldn't see anybody over there at all. But where she was sitting, she couldn't understand how I could not see them. She's like, she's like, Brandon, you're blind. You just need to open. And I thought she was like having hallucinations and like she got some bad queso or something. And, and she was, it was, uh, she, we, needed some, we needed a little help over there. And, uh, but we, our position, it determined our perspective. And she was seeing things I just, I just simply, I just simply couldn't see. And and Paul understands this, and he coaches the believers in Colossae when we look at Colossians chapter three, verse two, and he tells them, "Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth." So you have to set your mind on things that are above not on the things of earth, because there's this natural gravitational pull for our minds back to the things of earth. Why? Because we live on earth. 
We deal with earthly things, earthly people. Our life is functioning here and now, but it's not the only point of influence. Heaven has a perspective. Heaven has a point of influence. And so, but if we keep our eyes simply on earth, all we will ever do is deal with things in an earthly way. And God has called us to be able to deal with things from a, in a heavenly perspective. And that's why we have to set our eyes on things above. We have to set our eyes there because if it won't, we won't naturally find ourselves going towards heaven's perspective. It's not a place we will gravitate to by ourselves. We need the prompting. We need to be able to be pushed in that direction. And that's important because God's got a different way of viewing things and a different way of handling things. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9. Isaiah writes prophetically to the people of Israel as God is speaking. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He, his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. But we're not going to be able to be directed by his thoughts or his ways if we stay focused on our own earthly thoughts and ways. We have to set our eyes up. We have to change our perspective. See, something we see on a certain level and feel like we totally understand it. This is the way this went. We look at it from heaven's perspective, and there can actually be a different response. There can be a different outcome. We may properly analyze it from an earthly perspective. It may actually be a junky situation from an earthly perspective. But seen from heaven's perspective what God can and will do in the space, all of a sudden there can be another outcome. We may feel like our only response is one response, but we look at it from heaven's perspective, we can have a totally different response. I love the story of Martha Berry. Um, she has uh, decided that she wanted to take some of the resources that her family had acquired through the years and having a huge, huge farm and plantation in, uh, out, outside of Rome, Georgia. And she had grown up um, very privileged. She had grown up in uh, being well taken care of, and, but she had a place of compassion there in uh, 1902, a long time ago, um, and saw that there was poverty, even though she enjoyed plenty there was poverty all around her, and she saw, even though she grew up in a rural agricultural space, she, was, she knew that times were changing and that industry was the future and that the answer to poverty in her community was, the fact, was, the, was that education needed to come to these young men so that they could be able to be a part of the industrialization of the South. But there were no schools. There were no, pri there were no public schools. All of them were private. Somebody had to pay tuition. And so there were all of these talented young men who simply didn't have the means to pay for private tuition. Um, and so it was put on her heart that she wanted to establish a public school to train up young men in to have industrial skills. 
And so much to her family's dismay and, and her attorney's uh, displeasure, she decided to take a big chunk of the family property, take that and establish um, the boys' industrial school. And so she establishes that outside of Rome, Georgia, and there's not any other free public education, so she filled up quick. There are plenty of applicants, plenty of young people who wanted to come and be a part of it. So the school begins to grow, and it begins to grow aggressively. And she's got to build dorms, and she's got to build dining halls, and she's got to build these different facilities <clears throat> to be able to educate and house um, these young men that she's educating <clears throat> for free. So things go along for a while, and, and finally about 1920, She's ready to do a big expansion. The school's been going on. It's been getting bigger and bigger. And uh, she begins to do this big expansion. And she hears that Henry Ford has been doing some, um, some philanthropy work and has been doing some charitable work. So she gets an appointment, calls to Detroit, gets an appointment, makes the long journey uh, from Rome, Georgia to Detroit, Michigan, and shows up there at Henry Ford's office to share with her, uh, share with him her passion to be able to take young men and train them up in the kind of work that he does. He build, he has the the he builds cars. He has all of this industrial on these industrial jobs, and she wants to train young men. She's like, this would just be a perfect fit. Well, she, her appointment landed on a day where Henry Ford was tired of being hit up for money. His success had made him the target of lots of charitable concerns and a lot of people trying to dig into his pockets. And he was irritated. Um, and she goes in. She makes her uh, plan of how he can invest and help, the, help her school to be able to grow and to be able to keep moving forward with their vision and he frustratedly, angrily reaches into his pocket and he grabs a dime and he takes the dime and he says, this is all the money I have on me right now, chunks it on his desk and says, you can have that. And so there she is. She's made the journey and he's honestly, he's just being a jerk. He's being dismissive. Um, it it would have been more, it would have been less of a jerk to say, um, we're not giving right now, maybe try back at another time, but he just, he doesn't. He chunks her a dime and says, there you go, that's what you could, that's what you could have. Now, in this moment, um, Martha Berry um, is not a person who is unfamiliar with corporate offices and lavish settings and people of power. Um, though Martha had grown up in rural Georgia, uh, she had grown up with a family of means. This was not the first time that she had connected with Henry Ford. She had actually been introduced to Henry Ford four years before in the home of Thomas Edison. Edison introduced Martha to Henry Ford. Martha had had people give to her school like former President Theodore Roosevelt and First Lady Mrs. Wilson. Um, she had she'd been in connected with the still uh, magnate um, Andrew Carnegie. 
She was familiar with people of power, and she knew Henry. She had already met him, which made him chunking the dime at her even more offensive. But what was amazing is what he meant to offend, she had a different perspective on. And she grabs the dime, and she takes the dime, thanks him for his contribution, and goes back to Rome, Georgia. She takes the dime, and she goes to the local store, and she buys some seeds. She buys some flower seeds, she buys some vegetable seeds, and she plants a garden. She takes some pictures of the produce of the vegetables. She takes some pictures of the beautiful flowers around the facilities that they had and returns back to and goes back to Henry Ford, has another appointment with him, presents the pictures to him. Uh, she says, I want to show you what your investment of your dime has done to our beautiful facility. Um, he was so wowed, not just by her seeing the dime in a different perspective, but the fact that she refused to be offended and took every little thing as an opportunity to make her school better, that he pulled his checkbook out and he wrote a $25,000 check, which in today's dollars, all this hundred years later, is the same thing as him writing a $1.3 million check. All of a sudden, he goes from giving a dime to give him this huge, significant gift because she was willing to see that from a different perspective. Here's the truth, is it was a jerk move. Here's the truth, it was offensive. He meant it to be offensive, but she saw from a different perspective. There are things that are gonna come at your life that yes, they're just wrong, they're just evil, but the scriptures say that God does something amazing. What the enemy meant for bad, God can turn to good. And if we don't let heaven's perspective invade our minds, then the jerky stuff that we find on our doorstep Respond to it from an earthly way. We'll respond jerk for jerk, mess for mess. We'll begin to bring that same stuff back because you know what? They meant to be offensive. It's only right for me to be offended. But there's another option. There's a heavenly option. Guess what? We can respond and not be offended. We can respond and be generous and forgiving and see that, and see that thing take an entire new direction. We can begin to see God breathe life, want life at all. He was not, Henry Ford was not trying to test the waters and see if she was trustworthy. He was being dismissive. He hoped to never see her again. He hoped to never see her again. She would never ask him for money ever again. Then all of a sudden her response Today, the Ford Foundation is still supporting what is now known as Berry College outside of Rome, Georgia. See, she could have decided to be offended. She could have decided to take it into a place because she was one who, who grew up. In fact, I forgot to show you this, but if you've watched the movie Sweet Home Alabama, you'll remember the Carmichael Plantation this was where Martha Berry grew up. They filmed, this was her childhood home. This was a lady who understood, but she not only understood how to function as a debutante in that space, she understood the power, 
of a, of a dime. She was able to function and understand that place. Why? It takes heaven's perspective to see that something wonderful and amazing can be presented in sometimes offensive and dismissive packages. Some of your best opportunities may come with very tiny doors being opened. Don't be offended at the size of the door. If the Holy Spirit prompts you to move through it, know that a big opportunity and a big blessing is waiting on the other side of that. See, our new life in Christ is so full that it takes his spirit working in us to fully see it. It takes his spirit working in us to fully see it. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Not that so that we can understand how to get something out of God. No, he's already freely given it. We need to understand what he's freely given. Here's the problem. Our earthly perspective won't recognize it. We need to set our eyes above and see what God sees, to see it from his space. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. You're, you're there. You've been brought to fullness. You may not fully understand it. You may not fully see it. You may not fully know how to operate in it, but you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. And understanding and beginning to live in a place where, and operate in a place in our lives that we've already been taken care of in Christ, that his perspective is different than the way we interact here in this space. It changes the way we feel. It changes the, the weight we carry. It changes the way we respond to one another. It just changes the way we function in life when we understand that God is with us and he has brought us to fullness. He's given us everything we need. When we walk in that, the bumps of life do not slow us down. They don't throw us off kilter. Um, one of my favorite stories on this was about 13 years ago uh, when I uh, took my, Cutie and I took our family to uh, Disney World for the first time. And um, so back then we just had five kids. Well, we've since added two more. Uh, for those who are new, we have seven kids. And, um, but so there were seven of us and the five kids going to Disney. So I was doing the research, and um, at that time, they're not currently offering it anymore, but at that time, they offered the Disney dining plan. And so that you basically prepaid for food, and you had these certain credits and this stuff. And so being looking at the budget, looking at all that, I was like, okay, this is probably going to come out. You know, we'll probably come out at least slightly ahead if we do the Disney dining plan. And so we chose to do that. Here's the problem um, with that is the way it worked is you could only buy the dining plan um, for the same number of nights that you were staying on the property. So with us, we were staying on the property for six nights so we could buy the dining plan for six days. But we all know you get there that first day, and then you leave that. So I bought park passes for seven days. So we were going to be in the parks seven days and having fun seven days, but we only had dining plans for six days. Well, we were learning it, and 
get there and we have our first meal. So we sit down, our waitress comes up to us and, and uh, she says, hey, you know, have y'all been here before? No, we have not. Um, are y'all doing the dining plan? I'm like, yes, yes, we are. She's like, good. Let me explain to you how this works. And she said, okay, first, you know, any of the kids that are 10 and up, um, they're treated like an adult. And so they sit there and they can order off the adult menu any entree they want. Um, they can get a, whatever um, beverage they want to drink. They can have bottomless milkshakes. And bing, my kid's just like, uh, their eyes just beamed open. And so, and these weren't like just these little milkshakes. These were like big old man mug milkshakes. These are some big old milkshakes. And so normally that was a rare treat, but they could have it as their, as their drink for dinner, and they did. And so they've got that, and then they order their entrees, and then everybody gets a dessert. Everybody gets their own dessert, so they could order whichever one. And these were big desserts. These were the kind of desserts that normally Clark's would share. We'd get like seven spoons, and we would just get all a share at the end of the night. Of course, pre-COVID, and you know, we all had the same cooties. We didn't care. And so we would just all have a couple of bites each and, and be able to split dessert like that. And um, so, but with this... Everybody got their own. So, man, it was covered, you know. I got the bill at the end of the night, and I was so thankful I hadn't having to pay that bill. It was covered. And everybody had food left on their plate, and they had these giant milkshakes. They drank like three drinks out of it, and I didn't care. I'm like, this was fine. It was all included. It was all good to go. We rock and roll that way for six days. It was great. They wanted a snack. Go take your little car, go get your snack. It's included. They eat two bites of it, throw it away. I don't care. And so, you know, Keenan would go up and do the quick service meal, and he would order the, the double bacon burger and eat about half of it. I didn't care. And so all was good. It was just so chill. I wasn't penny pinching. I wasn't griping at anybody about anything. Then day seven came. And we'd been on that dining plan that whole time, and then we go to order lunch. But we all forgot we're not on the dining plan. So Keenan steps up there, and he orders the double bacon burger, $15 burger, and everybody's sitting there. And, and I get to the end, and now I have to pay. And that bill, and this was just for hamburgers and hot dog lunch, and it made me mad. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I can't. <laughs> Something I had just enjoyed and didn't care too hoot. And all of a sudden now I'm having to pay for it. And I, it just made me mad. So we get, we find our seats. We're sitting there and cutie can just tell. All, I'm, it's supposed to be the happiest place on earth. And my happy's gone. It's just done. And she is not good with me. And Keenan, I see him, he's eating that, gets about half that burger down, and he goes to throw it away. And I said, you eat the whole thing. <laughs> and Cutie's like, you need to calm down. And I'm like, we can wrap it up and we can take it. And so, and so we're in Disney World. And, uh, and so, but all of a sudden, when, when the responsibility and the weight and all of those things began to come back on me, that all of a sudden it was me paying for it. It was me trying to make it work. It was me. It was all of those dollars. All of a sudden that weight began to come in, and I just felt the frustration and the tension and the pressure begin to come in, and it spilled out to everybody I had direct contact with. All of a sudden they're not having as much fun. I'm not having as much fun. 
It, it just did it. And when we go through life not understanding that our heavenly Father is with us, that he has brought us to fullness, that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, then all of these little things will come up and they'll add pressure and pressure and they'll begin to choke the joy and the hope out of our lives. Yes, there's some situations that are challenging and that are difficult. There's some situations that are terrible. Some places that are without God are hopeless. But when we understand that he's with us, Hope himself is in the middle of it, then we can have hope because we have him. And we understand that, that all of a sudden some places that joy normally wouldn't be there. We can have joy in the middle of joylessness because he's the one who provides it. It's not us having to bubble up joy on, in from ourselves. It's not us having to manufacture some kind of hope as we live in a place where he has provided it and getting our eyes up off of the daily grind and seeing that he's with us and what he's provided, it changes our perspective. It changes our emotions. It changes how we interact with one another. Colossal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, that they may have the full riches of complete understanding where we don't have complete understanding, we're missing some of the full riches. We're being robbed some of the full riches of what he has for us in order that we may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. The stuff that keeps us from living in the fullness of what God has given us in Christ are fine-sounding arguments. You know what the problem with fine-sounding arguments is? They sound fine. They sound reasonable. It sounds like, okay, yeah, that's probably the way it is. From a human perspective, from an earthly perspective, like, yeah, it's probably that way. Yeah, I get it. It's, that's, that sounds fine. But fine-sounding human arguments will rob us. It will rob us from living in the fullness of what God has for us. I want us to just prove how this works. Let's look at John 10.10, 10, okay? Let's look at John 10.10. 10. You might be familiar with this passage. Uh, it says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I have come, this is Jesus talking, that they may have life, and let's just put a period there. Let's just stop right now. There's a comma, but let's just put a period for this, for this argument sake, okay? If Jesus stopped right there, says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life, period. Man, we would go, yes, that's amazing. That is wonderful. We're able to step over from death to life, that we're able to have hope for eternity. We're able to be able to be his someday in the if that's all it was, it would be more than we deserved. It'd be more than we deserved. And we would go, yep, absolutely. Just getting life is more than we deserve. And that's awesome. And I am so thankful for it. So all of a sudden, a, a fine-sounding argument can come in and say, well, you know what? What God provided in Christ was simply heaven one day. 
Heaven when you die, the peace, you know, that we don't have to, to face our final days in fear. Man, what a gift. That's awesome. Having hope of being reunited with loved ones, that's awesome. Being able to know that eternity is taken care of and forgiveness is there, that's awesome. That's more than we deserve. And a fine-sounding argument can come in and say, you know what, that's what you have. And you know, and sorry, this earth is brutal and it's hard. And, and, and so just do your best to kind of grind through it. Um, but you, guess what? God, Jesus came that you can have life. You can have eternal life and, and that's it. And that's way more than we deserve. And, and we, we would say, yeah. We would say, yeah, to that. We would say, because that would be a fine-sounding argument. It would feel right to us. But Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't stop. It's not a period. And we would be so thankful if there was a period. And it'd be more than we deserved if there was a period. But there's not. There's a comma. And it says, and that they may have it more abundantly. He wants us not just to have life, and that's amazing, but for us to have an abundant life, for us to have a life that begins to invade this space. Jesus taught us in the model prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, that part of it was to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why on earth would Jesus Tell us and teach us to pray for heaven to invade earth if it's not possible. Why would he do that? That's cruel. Why would he teach us to expect God's will on earth as it is in heaven if it's not something that God wants to do in our lives? But just saying that God's grace is to be able to just provide forgiveness or, or be able to give you an opportunity to try harder That sounds like a fine-sounding argument. Yeah, you know, my sin got me into this. If grace gives me an opportunity to just do better, that sounds right. No, grace infuses life. It takes all the trying out of it. It sets you up as his child forever done so that we can live from a place of life and we can go from life to life more abundantly. But if we don't let the Holy Spirit talk to us, we will be talked out of abundant life because life by itself is more than we deserve. Fine-sounding arguments find their ways into all of our views of God on so many different levels. And Paul understood this, and he says, I'm telling you this so that you are not robbed by fine-sounding arguments. See, God cares about our entire lives, so our entire lives should be about choosing to trust him in all things, to trust him in all things. See, if he wants to give us life and life more abundantly, if that's his desire for us, okay, then if we have a desire that doesn't line up with something that God wants for us, that desire, that want, it's not life won't bring life. No, it won't. That's why we have to line up our wants and desires with him. We just sit here, and if we're trying to, to just go our own way, we are going in the way of death and destruction. Part of discipleship, part of growing as a child of God is to take our desires and line them up with him, our wants and line them up with him. 
Romans 8, 31 says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God's level of commitment to us is Jesus. You wanna know how committed God is to you? He's Jesus level committed. He gave Jesus. Paul says, if he's going to give Jesus, he'll give us anything we need. He is active. He is involved. Second Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. His promises help us to participate in the divine nature. What are his promises? His promises are what he wants to do, but we've got to believe his promises. We've got to take our eyes off of the earthly stuff and get them on heaven, get our eyes above. And if we'll do that, if we'll embrace God's promises, we can begin to step into and participate in the divine nature. But we, and we escape the corruption caused by evil desires. Now, when we hear that phrase, evil desires, we can easily think of it as, you know, as some evil desire, as somebody wanting to, to take over the world and rule the world. You know, some henchman from a Bond movie, you know, these evil desires. We, we could begin to... to Think about these evil desires as, you know, somebody taking advantage of somebody, somebody who's, you know, stealing people's identities online and they having these evil desires. Somebody who's going to like, you know, hurt puppies or something, you know, there's these terrible evil desires. And we put evil desires way down on the human spectrum of activities. But the truth is, is an evil desire is anything that doesn't line up with what God wants for us. It says our lives, not society is messed up by evil desires. Our lives are messed up by evil desires. You and I have stuff that lines up as an evil desire. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to come in, expose that, show that, and let the Holy Spirit line us up to be able to see from his perspective and choose what he would have us to choose. See, God is faithful to complete the work that he's begun in you but we gotta be patient in the process. Philippians 1.3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And James 1.4 says, but let patience have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. God is at work in us. And there's still some stuff that doesn't quite line up. He's made us full in him, but we have to lift our eyes, begin to step into the promises to partake in the fullness that's already ours. Our bottom line is this, is that our perspective must be selective. We can't just let it go where it naturally wants to go. We have to select it. We have to choose it. We have to set our eyes, our focus on things that are above. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.